Hello and welcome to episode 26 of season two of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and culture podcast. I'm Charlie and joining me are Billy and Rosa. We, of course, record rather nervously as it feels like whatever we say could become obsolete quicker than a two-goal Spurs lead away at the worst team in the Premier League. Who knows if or when Daniel Levy might fire his sixth manager in 11 years, but we're going to go for it. We're going to discuss what exactly is going on with Spurs and we're going straight for the jugular on this episode. No small talk, no asking after Emerson Royale or warm words for gentle Ben this week. We're going to ask simply, what the fuck is with Tottenham Hotspur right now? To answer this, frankly, timeless and yet impossible question, we're going to break it down into four buckets. Those buckets are Antonio Conte, his players, our club's board, and finally us, the fans. Um, Billy and Rosa are on board with this um, sort of one-off approach to hometown glory. Um, And first up, guys, Antonio Conte, Um, a guy I think it's fair to say this podcast has defended pretty staunchly, perhaps I would say definitely, in fact, more so than almost any other Tottenham Hotspur podcast out there. Um, Do we still support him? Um, Would you be sacking him this week? That's my first question to you, Billy. Would you, would he be fired by now if you were the chairman of Tottenham Hotspur? what, What would you be doing right now with him? Oh yeah, he's he's got to go. It's um it's untenable without a doubt. Um, and I think you know that as we will get into, it's a very very complex situation that has got to this point, and um, <clears throat> there are many many factors that have led to it. But it, it, the, there's no escaping the fact that it is at that point. Like you can't, as a manager, like you can't like publicly criticize your players to that degree, um, and sort of remove yourself from any kind of blame and any kind of introspection and any kind of reflection um, <clears throat> when the fact is that for this season we've been serving up pretty terrible football um, and you know all of us on this podcast have been very supportive of Antonio Conte and we've always been um, I think very fair to him as well um, but at the same time he, he you know he simply has not committed himself to this football club for any kind of long term um, and we've kind of been sort of hoping that the football will sort itself out you know, the results on the face of things aren't aren't terminal. We're not being sat because of the league position or anything like that. Um, it's just like the toxicness has gotten to a point where he just simply has to go. Um, so yeah, I definitely would. I, I know the, the the discussion that what has led to it to get to this point is a very complicated one, which I know we'll go into now. But yeah. um, the the fact is, he just has to go. Yeah, it's got to that point where um, there's there's simply no other no other option. Same question for you, Rosa. Um, would you would you be sacking Antonio Conte right now? I don't know, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> I I come to this from a place of I just I don't know. Maybe I just, maybe I just don't like change. Um, I just tend I've realised I just tend to just cling on to things kind of beyond all sense and reason. Obviously, very different situation. But Ollie and I were laughing earlier because we were remembering when Pochettino got sacked and he was the one who told me it happened. And I did a real classic, like shoot the messenger. I was absolutely furious at him for delivering me that news. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I wanted it, I wanted it to come from me, like, like a death in the family. Like I couldn't let you find out about it from like Twitter or even a WhatsApp group. Um, I just I really resist these points because mm. I think 
I can't I can't stand the chaos. We've been so chaotic as a club about our managers. I just I'll almost just be in it for like whatever, however, until the ride is like definitively at an end. I will kind of cling on. Partly, you know, I do agree with everything that Bill says about the football and you know, and the, oh, everything that we've said about his kind of tactical rigidity and not using the squad well and kind of the weird freezing out of certain players. Um, but at the same time, I, if you're Conte, right, and like I'm just thinking about everything that sort of led up to his outburst, right, and if you're Conte and, you know, one of your closest colleagues fucking died and then some of your other friends also died and you've had like a horrible time personally and then everybody went off to the World Cup and then came back and then immediately you had to go off for surgery and you got up off your sick bed like against like clearly against doctor's orders right he obviously didn't get the all clear from his doctors to come back to the club and came back and then made like made himself sick again because of it. I can sort of, I'm not saying he's right to do this. And obviously there's, you know, everyone's got their own take and no one person is in the right on this. But I can so imagine being in his head and being like, I did this. Like now I'm not in favor of sports people in general sort of pushing through the pain in quite in what is potentially quite a dangerous way. I don't think that sets a great example necessarily, but that's what he did. You know, he did it. He came back and he made himself very, very ill. So I can, like, I, I can understand it from his perspective in that way. of just being like, I did this man. And these guys can't even focus for five minutes at the end of a game. We're like, we're winning. So, mm. you know, I get why most people have just completely just run out of patience, run out of sympathy, but I haven't yet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's a real shame that Ash isn't on tonight because I think he would perhaps, uh, in him, you would have the only other person in the whole of the Tottenham Hotspur supporter base that perhaps has still got some Antonio love left in the tank. Maybe, I don't know, maybe... maybe Also my dad. Maybe some of this is just me challenging challenging my dad who is is basically a Conte ultra at this point. Um. Let me ask you though, when it's been a few days since, you know, the rant uh, at St. Mary's, how, how have you sort of processed it? Cause there's a lot, it's a lot to take in, right? I, th- I think, you know, being a Spurs fan is a complex web of emotions at the best of time. But I think when, when you're essentially, when your club is essentially turned on by its own manager, which is kind of what happened during that rant. And like there are, I think there are reasons why, but you know he he went all guns blazing on the players, on the culture of the club, on the board, whatever you know press line has been put out that oh it was only about the players, it wasn't about you know the chairman or anyone else, it was just the players, which is kind of not great in itself really that you're happy to just hurl a squad of players under the bus in that fashion if you ask me. But anyway, like it's it's a lot to take in because on some way in some in lots of ways right we all have our issues with how the club conducts itself which we'll go on to we all have issues with how our players seem to have it sort of baked into them 
this capacity to chuck away leads and to freeze in big moments and to be, you know, shameless sort of lily-livered fools at exactly the point where we want them to stand up for themselves, et cetera, et cetera. But when it's, when it's the manager doing it, and I think there's that vibe where it's like, come on, like we have a rough enough time as it is as Spurs fans. Like we don't need our own manager. We don't need our own manager, like sort of twisting the knife as well. Right. I don't know. Like Rosa, how, how have you dealt with the, that complex web of, web of emotions that that sort of ran maybe or maybe didn't spark for you? I don't know. I mean, I definitely go into sort of protective mode on these occasions and I just kind of shut down. I go, oh God, this mental thing's happened and I'm just not going to think about it as, you know, as I'll think about it as little as I possibly can, which obviously was not very successful because there's just kind of endless noise about it. Um, I don't feel that bad about it because again, I feel like I'm in this place where I can sort of I don't think it was the right thing to do, but I can sort of imagine Antonio Conte just being like, this is my last play. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this but will do, do. Maybe this will ask... light a fire under those fuckers. But do you, are you willing to give him that benefit of the doubt? Because I think what a lot of people are contending is that he is, he's gone into like exit strategy mode where yeah. it's all about propping up his own reputation, throwing whoever he needs to throw under the bus to ensure that he gets out of this you know, predicament with his world-class coach rep sort of maintained. What What do you think? That just doesn't make, that's not totally compelling to me, to be honest, because I don't, if, you know, unless he's just got to a point where he wasn't sick of us before and now he really is. Um, I don't really see why he wouldn't have just left in January when he genuinely was sick and everyone could have just gone actually... Mm. unless maybe he thought there was actually a chance we could do something this season and now he's got to a point where he's like actually this is not going to happen you know I don't know it doesn't really you know we all knew we were getting a very dramatic emotional Italian and, and that's and, who he is and, yeah, I don't and even... honestly honestly I suppose we all probably you know had if we did our research we would have known that this was going to be the likely outcome because he did it at Juventus, he did it at Chelsea, he did it at Inter Milan, where he he flames out in this very dramatic fashion where he tries to sort of take everyone down with him. This is just the nature of him. So perhaps we shouldn't even take it personally because this is just what he does, right? Billy, how how did it make you feel as a, as a Spurs fan? Because I think it, it's brought out, you know, going back to my previous point, it has sort of brought out a lot of emotions I think people are either you know becoming that people have become very defensive people have become outraged people have become like actually Antonio yeah you're right like I'm sick of the players I'm sick of the club culture like it's really sparked not a civil war that's way too melodramatic even for a com- conversation around Antonio Conte but no, we, were lot, right? we were already there we were already in civil okay. war we're yeah we're, we're <laughs> <laughs> it's inflamed the civil war further. How, how did it make you feel, mate? Um, so there's three things which make it uh, complicated for me. So firstly, I just want to start off by saying I think the notion of a manager criticising the board and calling out the board is great. I think it's much needed. Um, I think the board need to be much more accountable for the, the mess that we're in than, than anything else that they they seem to be held to from anyone else. Um, so I think that as a notion is great. Um <clears throat> Same likewise with the players. I think, you know, there is a case to say that, you know, some of the players do need to hear some home truths. Um, 
the three things that make it complicated for me are one of them is if this was at a point, say, for example, where Antonio Conte had just signed a contract extension and he was sort of committed to our club for the long term future and he was come out and saying something like this. I think a lot more fans and certainly myself included would be like, you know what, we're, I'm going to side with you over the players. Instead, what we're kind of left with is he's not going to be here in summer anyway. So it just kind of points to the fact that, you know, the players still are going to be here. Conte is not going to be here. And it's just this kind of mess. Of, you know, who, whose side are you on? Because, um, you know, he's not committed to our club at all. So he, he just doesn't, you know, he's not coming from a point of care towards the players or with a view to improving the players. It's all like self-preservation, as you said. Um, <clears throat> the second thing which makes it complicated for me is there's no accountability from himself whatsoever. Like He, he doesn't ever sort of reflect on his own mistakes, which he has made lots of this season, including that game when we were 3-1 up, he decided to go into a low block um, and defend the lead, you know, when, when Southampton were there for the taking. Um, and we were sort of ruthlessly tearing them apart at 3-1. He took off two attacking players, went for a low block and tried to see the game out, which ended up us losing, um, you know, two goals for that. So there's no accountability from him whatsoever. <clears throat> I just want to read you a quote as well from a manager, a previous manager of ours, um, this is after a really disappointing defeat. And this manager says, um, there is only one person to blame. That's me. I chose the place to start at halftime. I tried to improve the situation. It is not good enough. Um, I am calm, but the best team won and the worst team lost. Um, and we've never heard anything like that from Conte at all since he's been here. It's always been about you know, other factors that have impacted the result. He's never once taken the blame for anything. And the manager that said that was Jose Mourinho. So... You know, we sort of see Jose as a similar kind of character, but there are, there are plenty of times when Jose, is to, he sort of shields the players over himself. I think as a manager, you've got to do that. Jurgen Klopp does it all the time. Like you don't, as a manager, it's very rare that they come out and totally just degrade all the players that are just played in the, in the pitch. Um, I'd certainly be able to understand it more if he sort of took some kind of accountability. And the third thing, and this is the fact which I'm, I'm really confused about, and I know the big issue is like, like how much of it is truth, how much of it is a lie, what is going on with the media, who is telling who, all these things. But this kind of thing that's come out afterwards said, oh, I wasn't talking about the ownership at all. Well, he clearly was. Like He, he pretty much essentially name-checked Daniel Levy. So the whole thing is muddy because, you know, who are you actually talking to? Are you mm. actually going to call out the owners and then, and then front it and say, no, I am calling out the owners? Or are you then going to, you know, when Daniel Levy comes up to you, say, no, no, sorry, Daniel, I wasn't talking about you. I was only talking about the player. It's just kind of that whole, the whole thing, I think, is surrounded in like, what are his motivations for doing this? Um, where's his own accountability? And, you know, is he actually going to even stand by the words that he said in the first place? Or is he just going to apologize and say, no, I, I didn't really mean all those things anyway. I was only talking about the players. So I'd be much more on board of what he said if he stuck by it showed a little bit of commitment to Tottenham rather than himself and uh, took a little bit of blame for his mistakes as well. Can I tell you why? Even though I agree with that, it just kind of doesn't, it just doesn't get to me that much. And I think it's just because there's like two things. One, Antonio Conte is just, he's just a human being, man. He's just a regular dude. Like he's a very successful dude, but he's also just... He's is he a regular shit. dude? Like in the sense that like... He is in his, you know, in his heart. Know. Like he's a very competitive guy, right? He's a very yeah. successful, very competitive guy. And he's had things that have worked for him. And he's come up against a club where he's like, why is this not working? Um, Why can I not make it work like I used to? Who knows what that's done to him kind of psychologically? That's interesting to me. But also it is, That is heart, interesting. Yeah. But also, interesting. and I think he has kind of, in a way... 
when maybe other people, other coaches would kind of say, oh, actually, maybe I do need to think about things a little bit differently. I'll try something new. He's just kind of retreated into himself, which also hasn't helped. So I find that really interesting. But also, ultimately, he is just a regular dude and he just has tantrums like the rest of us and can't control himself like the rest of us can't at times. And while I look at him like, I wish you could be just like a bit more professional also, so many times I've walked away from Tottenham just being like, just fucking burn this club down, man. And in a way, he's just lobbed a grenade right here. And I'm kind of like, I've, I've wanted to do that many, many, many times. I kind of can't hate him for that, you know. And also we're just, you know, you get, with Tottenham, you could just sit here and you can just try and look at things logically. And I'm sure there are loads of logical explanations for certain things, why certain things have gone right, why certain things have gone wrong. But there's also just it's so messy man and I've quite enjoyed every, all the other all the players kind of coming out defending themselves and sort of, sort of I, I have I have too I have too I'm, and I'm I think... quite into the idea of them just all kind of saying their shit in public now and then maybe just all going back to work like I know that won't happen but I would enjoy that and I don't I don't think they would be saying what they were saying unless uh well sorry without Conte having used words like selfish because I think to my mind, if you're a professional athlete within a team sport, I think to have words like selfish sort of thrown at you, I think that's like a really triggering word that probably really, really, really pisses them off. This idea that they don't work for their, you know, their brothers, these guys that they train with every day, that they're not putting in their all, not just for themselves, but for their their teammates. And also, like, it kind of confused me that because... Like, to my mind, this group of players aren't selfish, I don't think. Like, perhaps lacking in quality and confidence and that sort of killer instinct, perhaps. Yes, but I don't know that I would call them selfish. And maybe we're straying into sort of the next topic here. But I don't know, Billy, would you, did that sort of does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, and do you know what? The specificity of the criticism confused me a little bit because I'm not really, I don't really understand. I like, I know Hoybier came out and said he needs to clarify what he means, but I, I don't actually understand what he's. Which, which I loved, by the way. It was so yeah, like, it I was so well. like, do you want to go outside and talk about this, mate? Yeah, <laughs> was... I, I really like Yes, they well. should. And let us watch <laughs> it, please. And what is is a lot of the kind of fans have been like, um, and you know, and I, I agree, a lot of our players in the past do deserve criticism they do need to be held to account and they have let us down consistently over the last few years but if you look at the players that played against Southampton you had like Pedro Porro and Oliver Skip for example two players that started there's you know Conte's not going to be aiming anything at them Porro is a new sign who is fantastic against Southampton Oliver Skip is a young player who's come in he's been brilliant and you know stepping into the shadow of an absolutely incredible midfielder in Bentonka he's not going to be talking about them I can't see him going for Harry Kane you know, Richarlison yeah. didn't play against Southampton. He, he played four minutes, yeah. Straight, it'll be quite away. a stinging like, critique of Richarlison's. Yeah. Fraser Foss Forster, again, you're not going to be criticising him because he's come in and done a good job. Um, and then the rest of the players are that played are the players he's played all season. And he's stuck by, you know, he hasn't rotated the squad. Like, he hasn't changed. And, you know, I, I don't, I, you know Perisic, who came on, who um, was poor, he scored. Uh, he's been quite poor lately, sorry, I should say. He's Conte's guy. He's Conte he was made a big deal out of signing him. I, I just find it very confusing. Like, who is he criticising? Mm. Like, for example, a lot of a lot of our fans, um, 
you know, and you could argue rightly or wrongly have criticised Eric Dyer. You know, he's been a, a lot big target for criticism. Conte has played Eric Dyer pretty much every game that he has been available. Yeah. So I find and it again, unlikely, like, I would, unlikely I, the, to be the guy that he's talking about. I just don't the last understand. word. The last word I would use to describe Eric Dyer is selfish. Like you know, if anything, he sort of he fronts up after game. Like he was the player after the Southampton game that faced that faced the press. If I remember, you know, he sort of takes it right, and he's you know he doesn't shy away from it. Even in matches when he makes a mistake, he sort of you know he doesn't kind of cower and retreat into himself so yeah I was I was super confused by that and of course we're talking about you know he was on a all-time sort of like top 10 of all time rant like the guy was losing it like big time he and you know and English is his second language so maybe he was sort of groping for words and found words that you know with a clearer head and more time to think about the language he wanted to use, he might have chosen different words. So, of course, we need to consider that as well. But yeah, I just it, it struck me as a strange criticism to levy at that group. But I don't. But I think everyone gets kind of too specific about this stuff in a way because sort of going, oh, well, it was it happened after this game, so it's to do with this game, and we just, you know, all of this stuff's been kind of building up over the season, and you know, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes and it's true you know you look at certain games and you're like well or you look at certain players and you say oh I don't consider you know they're not I don't think they would be selfish but actually you know this group of players you could you could argue has not been very good over the season so maybe it's just you know you get to a point where you're like I, I can't I've, I've had enough you know and mm-hmm. it's not about this game this is just the trigger so and again that's not to absolve Conte of any criticism I'm just very sort of I don't know. You know what it's like, man. You don't say anything. You don't say anything. You don't say anything. And then, and then it's like a thing. It's like a thing that doesn't even really matter in the end that sends you over the edge. Yeah. You know. And I think, I think throwing away a two-goal lead at the worst team in the league is probably, if there was ever going to be a thing to break the camels, you know, yeah. break the camels back here, it would be that, right? I, I definitely think you're right there. And I think what Fabrizio Romano, who you have to imagine, has got very close links to Conte, came out and said um, it was the Milan games that, that did it. It was the last draw for Conte. And the problem I have with that is, like, he, he did not change any players in the Milan game until, like, the 80th minute or whatever it was. I know that like, he doesn't, if he's got this huge problem with the players, like, he doesn't sub them, he doesn't rotate them, he doesn't change mm-hmm. them. And you, you, can, you, can know, you can talk about, oh, is it, maybe it's because he doesn't trust any other players. But, like... I think uh, personally, I think that our biggest issue in the Milan game is like we were tactically terrible. Like we were so passive in both legs. Like um, I don't think it was like an issue of the players being like I think the application, the the things that the players were being told to do just didn't work. And like I think the biggest problem of those games wasn't like the mentality of the players; it was what they were being asked to do. You could see the frustration in the players when Kulusevski was subbed off for Sanchez, and you could see like even the coaching staff like. I think our biggest issue in those games was was the tactics. That it's been so passive and so poor as it has been all season that I I struggle to to see you know why that Milan game in particular was the trigger. Which is which I do think you're right. I don't think it's specifically the Southampton game that has led to this huge run. It's a culmination of everything that's happened. Um, but you know the players don't have any freedom. They don't have any rotation. They don't have any freedom. They've played the same formation every single game for the last two years. Um, and I think that is as much part of our downfall as anything else. And 
I think the lack of plan B as well, right? I think, you know, that to me has been the most disappointing thing, particularly the last few weeks where you're just watching these sort of games sort of peter out and, you know, whether it's the Milan games or the Sheffield United games or the Wolves or the Leicester games, there's just sort of nothing until it's almost way too late and it's, you know, we'll just chuck on an extra forward. And, you know, I am mindful with this sort of criticism because I think it's very rare for, uh, it's very rare for coaches to, you know, go, oh, well, I I play wing backs and mid game, we're going to go to a back four. Like coaches tend to have their systems and they tend to stick with them for, you know, pretty long periods of time. I think with Conte, it's a tricky one because at Chelsea, he switched to wing backs at half time at the Emirates, if I remember rightly, when they were three 0 down, and then sort of struck gold with that, and they went on and and won the league. And he's played wing backs ever since. So that you know, I hilariously, think lot- this is all Arsenal's fault. Fuck's sake! <laughs> <laughs> and we were the ones that lost the league as a result of it as well. Yeah, he <laughs> beat us to the league. <laughs> but you know, and I, I suppose it. You know, but we we should wrap up the Conte section soon, where we're going to be here for hours, but. That tactical sort of rigidity that we've spe- that we've mentioned, you know, and I was I was reading well, I've been reading all sorts of stuff this week about you know Conte perhaps being uh, maybe a tiny bit of a spent force tactically, and you know there's a reason that he was at Spurs in the first place, and he wasn't at a much bigger club than Tottenham, and you know managers and coaches at the top level have a sort of sell by date, and maybe particularly when you look around Europe and you see which teams are at the top of those leagues, it's very hard to find too many teams that are playing that sort of conservative, reactive style of football that you could argue that Conte and obviously Mourinho before him like to play. You know, is it as simple as we got the, you know, last season when we were playing one game a week and we were surprising teams and they weren't quite ready for us and then they weren't quite ready for... Kulisevsky and Bensenka in January, you know, teams have worked us out and we have had a coach who hasn't been able to react. And of course, there have been reasons he's been absent. There have been terrible tragedies that have, you know, befallen the club off the pitch. But ultimately, he hasn't been able to react to the fact that teams have worked us out. Because I think, is that fair to say, Rosa? I don't know. I would, yeah. I think he's absolutely become entrenched. And I don't necessarily think that that's because he's, you know, passed it or spent force or whatever. We we won't know, I guess, until he goes somewhere else. Um, but I think absolutely he's become very, very rigid and kind of and very conservative and kind of weirdly frightened in a way, um, which maybe also makes me weirdly sympathetic to him. I would <laughs> just say one I'll just say one more thing about um his outburst, which is and talking about like whose fault it is. Why is he blaming the players when he's obviously made mistakes? I think we all know the times in our lives when we get angriest is when we know loads of it is our fault as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And, you know, we can't speak for him. And we are talking about a man that, you know, his ego, I imagine, far exceeds the egos of the the people on this podcast right now. Our combined egos. Combined, <laughs> like, and multiplied by several thousand times. But I imagine he's pissed off that he's basically, you know, failed. In his eyes, this is a failure. You know, whatever his lack of 
commitment to Tottenham, however you want to read that, like he wouldn't have accepted this job without thinking, I can do something here. And of course, last season, he he did do something and we shouldn't forget that. And we shouldn't, you know, we also shouldn't look past the fact that we are fourth, albeit we've got a load of teams breathing down our necks with games in hand and we could very easily, you know, be in seventh or whatever in a few weeks. But, you know, there's every chance that we finish this season in fourth as well. And, you know, when we move on to the ownership question, that is probably a, you know, a rip-roaring success as far as Enoch are concerned. You know, we're talking about a club where it's top four or nothing. Like that is the, you know, seems to be the be-all and end-all for their ambitions, rightly or wrongly. Um, so, you know, final question, I suppose, like, has he been a failure, Billy? Um, so I've been very, very critical of Conte on this this specific podcast, but um, anyone who's listened to us over the last few years knows that that's, that's never genuinely been the case. I think I've been, I was really, really into Conte. I, I really believed in him. I was really sold on everything that he stood for. Um, and I just want to say a couple of things. So one of the things I want to say is like, you've got this kind of view now that he's a, he's a defensive manager, he's a dinosaur or whatever. But last season, the football that we played, I thought it was fantastic. I really enjoyed watching it. Like we mm. were cutting apart teams left, right, and centre. We beat Arsenal three 0 We beat Newcastle five one. Like we were destroying teams all the time. I, I really, you know, will look back on that period fondly, no matter what has happened this season. So I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, I also, as I know you both have mentioned, I just want to clarify that I totally want to make sure that you know it's very, very important to work out, you know, to to emphasize the human element of what's happened to him. This year has obviously yeah. made a, a huge effect as it would to anyone. And do you know um, what? Quickly, I I don't actually think enough has been like granted in that sense. Like from reading and listening to certain things, I think it's been glossed over quite enormously. And I think people that, mention it as a sort of oh, of course this happened. Yeah, but it's massive. Yeah, sorry, no, carry on. Sorry, Billy. Yeah, go no, on. no, 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 no. I totally. I think, um, you know losing his fitness coach is not just you know lot loose losing the fitness coach he lost you know a, a serious serious influence on his life that, that guy that it was from where the, the way that the players spoke about him you have to remember i've only been with this guy for a few months the way that they spoke about him it was way beyond being a fitness coach it was i sort of personally think like inferencing from what has happened since like obviously that is a huge huge mm. factor and when we spoke about it when it happened and everything that came to us. And we immediately won with the Brighton game straight after. And then our form was dipped. Yeah. Pretty much never recovered since. Yeah. Like, obviously, it's it's been such an incredible um, factor on everything about him. I think they rep, they were sort of go hand in hand with each other, what they represent, the belief, the sort of values that he instills. And I don't think he's recovered from it. And, you know, you can't, and as much as I've been critical of Conte today, I, I don't think you can ever forget that. And that's certainly something which I'll always keep in mind when, you know, we discuss why this has gone wrong. Um, so there's that as well. And um, I know we'll talk about the owners a little bit later on, but I do think that if we'd fully gone for Conte, I know a lot of people, you know, sort of say they've thrown the money that has been spent around Conte. If we'd fully gone for Antonio Conte and given him the, the players that he demanded and the type, the profile of players that he wanted, which as publicly earlier said, we didn't do. We spent a lot of money, granted, but it's not the players that he wanted, and it's not the players that he, um, you know, that he he wanted experienced players, older experienced players. What he said um, to Sky Sports News in January, and we didn't get that. I do, you know, it's another what if. What if we'd have just done that and just thrown caution to the wind and given Conte? I do believe we'd we'd be talking about a different kind of story right now. 
So um, as critical as I've been of him, I'm really, really appreciative of everything he did last season. I had a great time of that. Um, certainly have to remember, you know, remember the human element of what's happened. And um, it's a really sort of interesting debate about how the extent to which he was actually backed with the players that he wanted. And I think all three of those things um, sort of are important to consider to the point where we are now with Antonio Conte. Yeah, that's very nicely said, Bill. Um, yeah, and just just to kind of add, just you've said that all really beautifully, and I, I can't really sort of go any further. I just I just kind of wanted to add a little bit to thinking about the fitness coach because some people have said, haven't they, that Conte is not really a kind of you know arm around your shoulder type of manager, and the things that people were saying about Ventroni is it sort of seemed as if he was that guy, and you you need that balance don't you in management and in coaching and you need someone mm-hmm. you know if, if you're going to have someone who is the sort of angry passionate dude chatting on the on the sidelines you also need someone to come to you at the end of the day and kind of give you a hug I guess and if that yeah. guy's gone and then also if we'd had more kind of experience a few more experienced players maybe they would have been able to take up that mantle as well because as it stands we we just we don't really have those guys ultimately for whatever reason even the experienced players are not really like that um and we can get into that later so you know managers especially these days they come as like a package deal don't they with their teams yeah and if you don't have that then it's it kind of stops working yeah i just it's all a bit do you know what it's, i really it's hate sad. I think. It's, it's really sad, so I productive think. like we're having you know we're really thinking about it we're trying to kind of go into it um, and sort of think about all of the elements of it. And ultimately, I think what I find really painful is kind of knowing in a few years, or even, you know, in a few months, this is just going to be looked on as like another, you know, Tottenham fuck up, isn't it? You know, Mm. and none of the new, you know, all of the nuances and all of the things that happened over the season will just be forgotten except by us. And that I do, you know, if you're talking about how that makes me feel like I find that quite painful, actually. And I I find the lack of nuance in the the sort of reporting of this and, you know the sort of general tone around it frustrating on both sides because i think you know on one side you've got the oh well conte's like lost it he's he's terrible he's like fucked up he needs to get out of our club he's you know he's ruining everything which i i think for the reasons that you've both gone into in a really considered way i think you know there are huge sort of reasons for certain things that have happened this season that have been completely overlooked and dismissed or scoffed at almost. And then I think you've got the other, the other side, which we'll, we will get into where, where, like you say, Rosa is, oh, well, Spurs are fucked up again. And it's all just Tottenham. It's the culture of Tottenham. It's the story of Tottenham. It's the history of Tottenham that they do this, you know, and it, it's going to rankle, you know, I'm sure he'll go off and he'll, win something in his first season at whatever club he pitches up at next. And we'll have this, you know, ridiculous thing hanging over us where we'll be, you know, both Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte's only trophyless sort of employer. And it will be something that will, you know, be used against us in memes for all time. But it there are, you know, there are nuances to this stuff and it's not, you know, there are grey areas. And I think the I don't know why I'm moaning about grey areas in a, a world in which football culture is so, you know, based in sort of tribalism and piss taking and memes. It's ridiculous. Let's move on. Tottenham Hotspurs players. Um, 
Obviously, we've just spoken at length about the criticism of those players that Antonio Conte made um, after Southampton, which I think Rosa makes a very good point that perhaps we shouldn't look at as a criticism of their Southampton performance, but a you know a, a rising sensation of frustration that he had with them. Is he right to be frustrated with their application? Is it a frustration around, like Billy said, these aren't quite the players that he wanted to work with. And, you know, 18 months into his spell at Tottenham, he's just looking around going, this is just isn't what I asked for. Like, I'm sick of looking at these people because they're not able to do what I want them to do. Like, what's what's with this group? Rosa, like, you know, you, you're someone who the longer serving players such as Ben Davies and Davidson Sanchez, you know, you're very fond of and your support and back. What do we need to do? Like, do we need to just gut this squad of anyone that was here, you know, from the from the Poch years? And, you know, there's, I made a list. So there's, how many players are still here from when Poch was here? So you've got Hugo Lloris, Eric Dyer, Davinson Sanchez, Ben Davies, kind of Oliver Skip, but I don't think he really counts because he, he didn't really play. Uh, Son, Lucas, Kane, and Sessignon, but I don't know if he really counts either because he was he was only here for a bit before so- Poch was sacked. But that's nine players. That's quite a lot. You know, we've had three managers since then. And I'm not also counting a hell of a lot of players that are out on loan as well that have, you know, we've got to come back. Obviously, your, your Tongis and your Lacelsos. What is it a question of like, a stale squad? Is it a question of we have this sort of Frankenstein's monster of a squad now that has been, we've got these players that have been bought to serve different purposes of different managers and it just doesn't fit and work? And what, 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 how would you rate the squad? And also, how would you rate the squad versus the criticism of it that Conte's just made? Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, man. Like with the players, I'm so, I really just kind of, like veer wildly between two extremes where one I'm like I hate all our players fuck these guys and then if I actually go through the squad I'm like I love these guys man (laughs) (laughs) all right this is just to butt in really quickly this is kind of my issue with the whole the squad is terrible like if you you know obviously there's this argument that oh well if you took away Harry Kane Spurs would be a mid-table squad if you took away Harry Kane from any team in the country, that team would be considerably worse off. Of course they would. He's one of the best players in world football. But even if Harry Kane, say, was to leave in the summer, there's still a lot of good, exciting footballers at Tottenham right now. You know, wh- whether it's Romero or Porro or Bentoncourt or Kulisevsky or Richarlison or Saar or, you know, there are players. There are there are there are some players there that we like and we're excited we about, have right? Players. We love players. <laughs> some of them play for Tottenham Hotspur. Um, <laughs> but that that's fair, right? Like we there is yeah, there is ma'am. talent here. There is talent. Here. I think to be honest with you, I think you know, the rebuild was obviously necessary, and that was something that Poch talked about, right? Um, and I think the recent rebuild has been largely successful, and part of the frustration has been for for us watching is that we seem to some of the players that we really like and think should be given a chance mm. you know obviously Spence in the early part of the season and Richarlison yep. now like Conte doesn't like 
So whereas you know. we consider that part of a successful rebuild, he's, he's been kind of like, I don't really like these guys. I mean, with yeah. Richarlison, it's hard to know because he's had a very up and down sort of injury hit season. Um, I think certainly there are, there are a couple of, say, three players who probably should move on. And, you know, I do think Davidson Sanchez is one of those players. Mm. Um, Lucas Moore, he's leaving anyway. That's fine. Probably Eric Zaire as well. It's not even, I think it's more you can't have those players. I think it was obvious that we need, we really needed like a, a new elite central defender in the summer. Yeah. And I think probably things would have been quite different. Maybe not massively different, but probably quite like we'd been able to get a Romero level mm. central defender in the summer. Um, we like that's what that's clearly what we should have done. So I think it's not my, my feeling about it is not so much about the kind of current squad, just as a kind of it's more about a general vibe that I feel has been kind of passed down through several generations of like recent generations of squads. Which is what? What's the vibe? So I think ultimately um, we have never moved. We've, we've just not moved players on quickly enough under Enoch, basically. The sort of early years we had to keep selling our best players, sure. And then it kind of hit a point, I guess, like once Bale was sold, they were like, we're not doing this anymore. It's too depressing. And so that stopped. But it kind of, but you could, you can see it for like the past, what, seven years? Nobody's wanted to, there's been such a reluctance to move on any assets, right? I mean, I think like what struck me thinking about Conte's rant was that a few years ago, Danny Rose like slagged off our entire club to the sun, but he like outlasted Pochettino. That's crazy, man. That's a kind of, you can't, that's, there's something in the culture of the club that has, that allowed that and made that possible. And that I don't, you can't have that. You can't have that. And also to to spin that around, the fact that Danny Rose made those criticisms of the club back Mm -hmm. then, which aren't too dissimilar to the criticisms that Antonio Conte has made of the club, what, like five years later, you know, and that in itself, I guess, you know, even if it's a bit off, you know, it's not exactly right and it's a bit over the top, it still is worth investigation. It still requires, you know, well, what's the common denominator here? It's the club itself, right? It's yeah. not the players, it's not the coach. But this is it, it's not specific players, it's the kind of it's the reluctance to let any players go. Yeah. So you end up with loads of players yeah. are just kind of hanging around. And then I think the thing is, that what is so frustrating is I think we're actually at a point where that culture is changing because actually we have let a load of players go and provided the ones who are out on loan never come back, <laughs> please God, then that's fine. We've moved on and we've yeah. cut our losses and, there, you know, players leaving on freeze and, and all sorts, you know, there's like a lot of money has, has actually been lost. Mm through quite a lot of players. And I think, unfortunately, that is that is what you have to do if you kind of want to, if you want to play with the big boys, I guess. Billy, um, um, do you feel, 
Do you feel that there's something wrong with our players? Like, do you think that you look at our players versus the players of other clubs of a similar size or at a size that we're aspiring to be and you think that they're just not up to it or mentally there's something wrong or what, I don't know, what, what do you think? Um, I actually think Rosa just nailed the two biggest issues that we have. And the first one being the staleness of the squad and um, we have held on to certain players for too long and... I think, um, you know, specifically some of the players that you mentioned there, like Hugo Lloris has got to go now. Um, Davinson Sanchez has got to go now. People like, you know, people like Tanganga are things that it's just, they've got to go. Yeah. Um, and I think that our biggest issue, uh, if you look at on the sort of the balance of our squad, is we have not bought enough um, quality in, in centre-backs specifically. I think mm. the, the rest of our squad is actually pretty strong. Um, and what I, what I wanted to say, and I know everything that we sort of say at the moment to do, because as you know, we talk about what is wrong with Tottenham Hotspur, everything that we say at the moment does seem to have some kind of caveat attached. And the, the caveat of this is the guy that I'm about to talk about, his future is totally uncertain. I think a lot of people at the, you know, talk about the squad as being uh, who is here with Pochettino, who is here you know, after Pochettino. I think the, the, the best way to look at the squad is who is here post Paratici and who is here before Paratici. Because if you look at the players that are here post Paratici, you've got people like Bentenker, Kulusevsky, Poro, Richarlison, Romero, um, you know, Emerson, who has proven, in my opinion, to be quite a, a, a decent squad player. Um, you've got Saar, you've got Gil. Are we really going to be wanting to get rid of any of those players that I just mentioned? I, I don't think so. Um, I think we're certainly heading in the right direction when it turns to recruitment. Mm. So I think, I, I don't think it's as doom and gloom of, in terms of our players as people are making out that it is. I think when you talk about players, you're always going to be talking about players and manager because they go hand in hand. Yeah. I personally believe if we got a new manager in right now and someone came in to, to manage the Everton game and you gave some of those players that I just mentioned a little bit more freedom and they sort of broke away from these Conte tactics, which simply are just not working anymore, then I think you'd, you'd see a huge uplift in our, in our squad. Um, and of, of the players that I just mentioned there, which of those are you going to want to... Do you really want to sell any of them? I, I don't. I don't I don't think there's a problem there with, with any of them in particular. And then if you kind of look at, you know, a lot of people saying sort of things like, um, you know, anyone who's here in the Pochettino area needs to go. You hear that sometimes. But, you know... I personally don't want to get rid of Kane and Son. I know Son is an interesting one, but I personally yeah. think a lot of that is is down to the, the tactics. It's just not work. We've asked Son to be a totally different player this season. He's been we've asked him to come and receive the ball um, with his back to goal and sort of you know distribute the ball, which he's not good at. He's he's mm. awful at it, in fact, and he's been awful all season. You know, if we put Son doing what he's good at again, there there aren't many players better in world football. The consideration which you would have to, to bring into that is that he's just simply getting old, and um, he's only going to get. No, he's on the but it's worth side. finding out, isn't it? Yes, it is. That's the I don't thing. Think it, I, think I would not the, give up on him. I, I think the, the, particularly because if you're talking about replacing him, you're talking about such a... And I, you could argue that Richarlison could come and play in that sort of left-sided forward role and maybe Brian comes back and who knows. But in terms of what Son has historically done and I think what potentially he could do with a new lease of life under a coach that's going to have him doing what he's, you know, does best. It would seem exactly. a bit churlish to chuck, to chuck him away after one bad season, I think, personally. Exactly. And I think the, of the nine players that you mentioned, Kane and Son are regular starters. Uh, Eric Geyer is a regular starter. Hugo Lloris is a regular starter. Ben Davis is a regular starter. Out of those players that I've just mentioned, I would only personally be looking to move on Eric Dyer and Hugo Lloris. 
Um, I think Kane and Son, I still put them both as indispensable players for us. Um, I know, you know, that might cause a little bit of argument over, you know, Son at the moment with the form that he's in, but I don't, I believe that's bound tactics more than anything else. Um, ben Davis, I think he's such an incredibly useful squad asset that I would not be keen to move him on anytime soon because of his sort of, his sort of um, his attitude and the fact that he's diverse and he's probably arguably been our best left wing back this season, which is a, a crazy statement to say. And we, you know, <laughs> if we're going to get Udoji next season, Udoji is another player I haven't even mentioned. Yeah, if we're going to get him yeah. next season, then you you can't find a better backup to that than Ben Davis, who can also play left centre back. So I certainly don't see a reason to move him on. And then you're sort of left with Dyer and Hugo, and I, I don't think anyone will sort of grumble at sort of moving those players on. So if we're talking about moving them on those players. Most of them are sort of fringe players anyway, and I do think it's time. And of the starters, I think it's only really Dyer and Hugo are the ones which we we need to be looking to move on now. Um, and again, Eric Dyer is an interesting one because the, the the frustrating thing about Eric Dyer is we know how good he can be, and mm. we know how brilliant he's been. He was last season at the end of last season, and there have even been spells. This, you know, I don't think Dyer's had a particularly bad game lately. I think he's just been sort of um, he hasn't done any you know noticeable errors or anything like that. So. Again, it's not really been good enough, has it? No, That's the thing. No. You need, if you especially in a Conte your... system, you need him to be hitting yeah. heights, and he hasn't yeah. him. Which he if was last Eric... season. I think that's yeah. the thing, right? Yeah. And if you had Eric Dyer as your backup centre back, I certainly have no complaints on that either. So I think we're definitely heading on the right direction with recruitment and our players. It's just a case of the biggest issue that we have is move now we need to move on these fringe players and replace them with other ones because that's where our issue lies for me. And of course, you know, and in sort of subtly moving on to perhaps the board, and if we include the guy you just mentioned there, Billy, who recruited a lot of those players, Fabio Paratici, we're talking about a guy who could be in jail. He could be banned from working in this country. He could be facing, you know, all sorts of, you know, charges and leave the club with a position sorry, in a position where they have no choice but to fire him, which, of course, speaks to the, you know, overarching chaos that seems to be engulfing the club at the minute. But, you know, he is doing a decent enough job. And I I know that some people disagree with that and some people feel like the recruitment has, you know, it's been a lot more hit and miss than perhaps we're we're saying it is. But, I mean, I, I tend to agree. I think there's a lot for a new incoming coach to work with. You know, you only have to look at, you know, look at the right side of the pitch. You know, you've you've got potentially, you know, Romero is your right side of centre back if you're playing a back four or a back three, whatever. You've got Pedro Porro, who I think after a very shaky start is now clearly showing us, you know, why we've paid all that money, as well as having, you know, and everyone should go and read the Guardian interview he did with Sid Lowe, um, that dropped this evening. Uh, it's Wednesday night as we record this, um, where he sort of coats off Tim Sherwood. He claims that it's the if, greatest interview of all time. He claims if you put him in a prison, he'd run the prison before too long. Like he's clearly. And I believe him. I believe yeah. him. And also, the, he's twenty-three for some reason. I'd forgotten how young he is. He's clearly <laughs> going to be a terrific, terrific player for us. I think. And it's so got... funny, funny to me that someone who's been here for like three weeks just automatically knows who Tim Shearwood is already. That's just quite, that's such a... And well, knows exactly what to think of him as well. Yeah, I don't, I think, <laughs> I think beautifully, I think in the piece, he doesn't know like his name. He just knows him as like an ex-Spurs coach that's been slacking him off. And I think Sid Lowe has to tell him exactly who it is. Um, but yeah, like you've got him, you've got Jed Spence, you've got, as Billy points out, you know, Emerson Royale has suddenly 
become useful. Yeah, and... Spence. I, did, I, did, I forgot about Spence. And, you know, he just had a great game against PSG, like literally this weekend. Yeah. And, you know, you look in midfield and, you know, all prayers up for, you know, Rodrigo. And we hope that he makes a comeback because, you know, he was fast becoming a, you know, a world-class central midfielder. I don't think that's overstating it. You know, Saar is obviously full of promise. Skip's looking like a very competent Premier League player now. Like, there are options across the board that I think a new coach would be quite excited to work with. However, we move on to the board. Um, Possibly the most divisive subject that any Tottenham fan could try and tackle at the minute. And, you know, you've obviously got the sort of Enoch outers. You've got the people that feel like actually Enoch considering what they're up against, whether it be Petrostates or, you know, sort of legacy superpowers in British football are doing manfully and we shouldn't be complaining as much. You know, the facts are, I suppose, that, you know, we finished fourth last season. We spent a fair amount in the summer. The club did back Conte to a degree. Do we... Blame, like to what extent are we blaming Daniel Levy and the board for the mess we're in right now, Rosa? Um, I do blame them to a certain extent for sure. I think mostly my grumbles are sort of from before. I think the the mistakes that they made over the last 10 years, I think have unfortunately left us in this position. I think... I think Spurs is a very well well run club in some ways, and they've done a brilliant job at the stadium infrastructure and all of that. Um, but I think they made so many they made so many mistakes in terms of just holding on to players for far too long, and yeah. the kind of the the absolute the, the cardinal sin of not giving Pochettino any money when we were challenging for the league. It's just it's it is criminal, and it it is unfortunately something that kind of we can't really we're not going to be able to move on from until basically we win something really are we um i think currently what was it i read the other day that just kind of summed up the whole kind of conte enix situation which was that he'd asked for lukaku and and divide how do you say i have no clue and yeah right exactly and you know and that's a real that's a kind of and they obviously said no and that just summed up the whole situation to me because 50% of that is like, no, come on, Conte. Like Lukaku has like failed three times now in the le- in this league. So like, it's not going to work. Um, but actually we could have really used a classy, experienced central defender, couldn't we? And if... If both sides have been able to kind of compromise more on that instead of being like, well, we're not, we don't, we're not going to buy you the forward that you want, but you can have, but we're going to buy Richarlison. Fine, I agree with that. Um, we're not going to buy you the defender that you want, and we're going to get you um, Clement Longley on loan, which is fun as that has been for me. Was actually, <laughs> you know, that's not that was silly, wasn't it? Like if if there was a chance to get like a proper proper classy defender, we should have done it, and it was obviously what we needed. And I find the sort of inability to. I mean, maybe both of them, like, maybe Enoch thought they had, you know, met him halfway. I think they did. I think but they, they obviously, but I don't think they did really. That's the problem. I, I think the problem. Well, they should have I trusted think, what he was saying. I yeah. And I think the problem in hiring managers like Conte and Mourinho is that you have to go in like a million percent. You can't half ass it. You can't say, 
sorry we couldn't get you Bastoni, but here's Clement Longley on loan. But you can, but you don't have to go. You don't have to go a million percent, do you? Because I really, I think it was fine to say no. We're not going to buy you Lukaku. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I would say is that's I the thing. You don't I, have to I go. Don't know, I don't know how credible that report. That was, I think, a bit of a Italian newspaper trying to. Well, have now you spoiled my whole thing. I'm not, I don't want to spoil your fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I mean is, I think that a manager like Conte has such, a, you know, that system is so specific like you need three elite center backs you need these tactically sort of like mega brain wing backs that can get exactly what he wants that are also built like horses that can just get up and down cross into the box get on the end of crosses you need central midfielders that don't mind being outnumbered three to two every game that are good enough to do that you need you know wide forwards that can score 20 goals a season you need a forward that can come and drop deep and score. Go- like you need all of these players that are so specific to. And he had quite a few of them, to be honest. He just, yeah. I yeah. mean, but also I, I can't imagine that. Like he can't have possibly thought he was going to get all of that at Tottenham. Well, this That's is the other thing. Yeah, this is a this is an argument, but I suppose the counter. Maybe to that he thought is, he could talk them into it, and you know, fair enough. You know, there is to do, I guess. Yeah, and I think both parties probably thought they would, you know, be able to you know, work on the other to get them to see their side of, you know, to to agree with their, you know, their way of dealing with this. To my mind, I just hope that, well, I suppose the issue that I think that Daniel Levy has is that he is just seemingly a bit obsessed with this idea that Spurs are now this super club and we belong at the top table and therefore a very easy way to mark yourself out as a super club is by having a sort of A-list celebrity manager. And in a way, it's kind of easier to go and pay a celebrity super manager £15 million a year to come and manage you than it is to build a squad of 22, you know, A-list footballers to actually contend and to win trophies. So I just really, really hope that we don't do this again because I just don't think I can see it ending any other way than it's ended with Conte, that it's ended with Mourinho because we can't give them exactly what they want. So we're ultimately just going to be, you know, telling the same story in 18 months time, which is why I think if Thomas, if Thomas Tuchel becomes Tottenham manager, we seem to be headed on that same collision course. My concern is that maybe because the club is being sort of, you know, fattened up for market and we need to be as attractive as possible and I think in and I might be wrong here but I feel like in Daniel Levy's head one of the shortcuts to doing that is by having a really flashy manager that everyone's heard of rather than you know a sort of young talented sort of Pochettino in 2014 style coach where we're at the beginning of a journey I just feel like we just keep taking these sort of shortcuts and these Oh, well, all they need is like an experienced winner and then they'll get over the line when it seems to me, particularly when we're talking about some of the players we've got that need, you know, a a Pochettino style coach to build them up and to, you know, get them into a proper functioning team. I just don't know if I trust that we're not just going to make the same mistake again. Um, We're totally going to make the same mistake again. (laughs) Yeah. Is it Billy? Are you confident that we're, or in fact, do you think that is a mistake? Like, what, 
you know, is Daniel Levy's thinking actually correct and I'm way off? Um, I think Daniel Levy's decision-making is absolutely terrible. I think it's by far our biggest problem that we have as a football club. Um, and I think it is, you know, we, we spoke about Conte, the players. I think this is this is the issue. This is the real part of the issue, which is why we're at the same situation that we were in 18 months ago, the same situation we were when Postino left. Um, at the very beginning of this podcast, Rosa said something which um, really struck with me. She said, in a few months' time, Antonio Conte will just be another Tottenham fuck-up. And... How many of these fuck ups are there going to be under Daniel Levy? There's, you know, you can go back 20 years and these fuck ups will happen. You can go back 10 years, these fuck ups will happen. You can go back five years, you can go back a month. So many managers fall into this, this kind of thing where it's not worked. It's not worked. And I think the the Enicket era has been fantastic for taking us to where we are now in terms of everything this. Um, the stature of the club, the sort of global brand of the club, has unquestionably been fantastic, like unbelievably so. Um, you know, the revenue that we generate now without any sort of <clears throat> the backing of a oil state or anything like that, it's been unbelievable. Um, what is not unbelievable, I think Daniel Levy is a, is, a, is a terrible football operator. I think he makes terrible decisions. Um, this decision to sack Pochettino being by far the worst of all of them and the decision not to back Pochettino being... A, a, feel, a situation which we're still feeling the damage of, you know, three, four, five years later. Um, and I think his tenure is sort of punctuated by these what-if moments, like what if we back Pochettino? What if we we didn't buy, you know, Sahara and Nelson in the Redknapp era? What if we bought Dabala? What if we bought Grealish? It's always like, it's just mm. like smacks of like incompetence and like never taking that risk to just really go for it. What Rose was just saying about, you know, the Conte players, why not just go, just give Conte exactly what he asked for? And if it doesn't work, then we move on. Why are we kind of half giving Conte what he wants and half giving him, we give him a lot of money, but, you know, players that he doesn't see. This guy, Conte, he doesn't play players that he didn't ask for. I mean, we've literally seen it with Spence and Danjuma. He doesn't do it. So why mm. are we, you know, why are we doing it? So I just think... But particularly think, Danjuma, like that, it's, yeah. un, it's I mean, there was, just I, I think unfathomable was, to me that would even try it and be like, I think it was, oh, um, here's a bloke that you had no, in, you know, that you had no interest in whatsoever. Can you please play him? Like, what a waste I of money. Have been, Two and a half million pounds we gave to Villarreal as a loan fee. What, that I mean, said, Ericsson wasn't a Conte purchase at Inter, though, was he? No, I think, and he. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think he did. It's not totally. It's yeah, but and he didn't, um, I think. He I think he was. I think he was disappointed when he turned up that he or mm. not so much disappointed. From what I've read, anyway, I think it was more that Ericsson arrived and it took him a while to get because we, as we've discovered, right, Conte's system is super. You know, it's super specific. It's all, it's all like regimented, sort of patterns of play and you get the ball and you do this and it's all just very you know it's it's baked in whereas Ericsson's obviously a bit more of a free spirit and goes and does his own thing so I think it was more that it took Ericsson a while to sort of learn the playbook and to sort of understand his defensive responsibilities and all that kind of stuff I think from what I read that Conte was actually like really wanted him um but I, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. Fine, stop spoiling all my fun. Sorry, theories. sorry, I'm being really annoying. I don't mean to be. Uh... <laughs> and um, my uh, my feeling is like so this Baratachi hire, which has been um, mixed, broadly <laughs> mixed to successful. Like he just can't stay away. Like what he needs to do is, I'm going to run the the commercial side of the club. I'm brilliant at it. I'm the 
personally, I believe he's the best in the world at what he does. Like, you know, the the, the sort of the, the commercial side, the business enterprise, building all of that, the global brand. There's no better chairman in the world doing what he's done. There simply isn't. What he's not good at at all is the football side of things. He makes awful football decisions. So he gets Pareto cheap to you know on the face of it make those decisions but he can't stay away like he you know reports say that he was very heavily involved in being content which you know i, I believe was a good decision at the time because it did end up against top four and then there's those reports that he was the one who was sort of negotiating the spence deal i think for us to move forward he needs to say look i've made another mistake conte has not worked out this is my you know we haven't had a full manager since you know 2019 was the last time a uh, a manager at Tottenham had a full season in charge, which is crazy. Like, it's not working out. And I think one of the biggest problems that he has is he doesn't know whether he wants to be Chelsea or he doesn't know whether he wants to be Arsenal. And he's kind of half and half of both of them. You, you know, we have this sort of elite. He's sort of in this mind of, are we an elite club like Chelsea where you go out and spend, you know, loads and loads of money and you try and win a trophy that season? Or do you want to be a project like Arsenal are at the moment? Um, and we can't decide which of those two things we want to be and we end up being neither. And... I think for us to have any kind of future, he needs to step away from these football decisions. And if, we, you know, it might not, let's, you know, let's not pretend that Parati is not very likely to end up being banned from football. He needs to get someone in who's better at it than him and just say, look, it's been 22 years now and I haven't really, um, you know, delivered any of the major trophies that I've wanted to deliver as, as chairman of the football club. I've done all Billy, could you, to play devil's advocate a tiny bit though, if you're Daniel Levy, I imagine at some point when you're listening to criticism like you've just been making, he could turn around and say, look, if, if there hadn't been a stupid handball decision given against Musa Sissoko, you know, five minutes into the Champions League final, or if, you know, they turned up a bit better in a few different finals. I could be looked at as, you know, the guy that delivered a Champions League final to Tottenham and, you know, a league title, all of this stuff. Like we have really, really, really nearly got there on so many occasions. Is that, and also, you know, I, I do, I'm, I too believe that Tottenham would benefit from fresh personnel, fresh energy, a fresh approach at the top. But like there are facts there too that we, you know, the, the competition that we face just to finish in the top four is extraordinary. Like the strength and the wealth of the clubs around us, we shouldn't overlook, right? Like we are really up against it every season to be in and amongst it. I think, you know, the, the cup competitions is a completely different thing. And I think our approach to it, that's where I get a bit sick and tired of the whole Enoch thing. Because I think ultimately it does feel to me that it's top four or nothing. Like top four is the whole point of the season. Every season it's finishing the top four. Everything else is a bit of a bonus when at this point, like 20 odd years into their regime with one league cup, surely they must. And I feel like this season particularly, and I think that's why the defeat at Sheffield United was felt so keenly by supporters was Jesus Christ. Can you guys not see what we want here is just an FA cup. Like, even if we don't finish in the top four, I think the majority of fans this season of all seasons would have just been like, whatever, fine, just go for the cup. And they just won't I'd do that. I'd be surprised if Levy doesn't want a trophy, though. I'm not saying he doesn't want a trophy, but I think if you put a gun to his head at the beginning of every season and said, what's more important? Because I think financially, and I think this, I think they are obsessed with this idea that Tottenham have to be 
and part of this I think is sort of attached to the whole Super League thing where you know we somehow got invited to join it and I think <laughs> therefore did we get invited or did we well, just show but, this, but this is the thing like I think because it that that whole premise of like being part of that elite is so important to them and I think they've proved that that is so so important to them over the years the only way that you feel important is by being in the Champions League every season and I think that's just become this obsession it's become part of the sort of the hiring pattern of managers is just all around like well can you get us into the top four like we'll figure everything else out but we just need to be in the top four and ultimately do we need to take a step back from that and hire a sort of project manager maybe you know if Harry Kane is to go in the summer except that we might have to have a couple of years like Arsenal have had where you finish sort of seventh or eighth or whatever I don't know what do we think yeah and I think that's a really um valid point that you make about we did get so close um and I think a few things about that firstly is he then sacked the guy that got there at the first sign of trouble. Um, the, the guy that dragged us that close to league titles and Champions yeah. League titles, things which we never even dreamed of. You know, I certainly never did. Um, he sacked the guy at the first sign of trouble. Um, secondly, like he there was, he went that guy. And I know the stadium issue makes this a complicated, more complicated than it sounds, but he didn't back him in, you know, 18 months of transfer windows either. And um Thirdly, the, the teams that we lost to um, in those finals are, you know, Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea and Man United. And, um, you know, all, and I don't think, I think as well as he has done to get us to a point where we compete in those teams, you know, in finals and in, you know, in leagues, I don't think he know, has the capability to take us to the step beyond those teams. Um, and I think it's fantastic that he's got us to a point where we can, you know, be in the conversation with them and in finals with them and be in title races. I don't think he has the football knack and the sort of the awareness of when to gamble and when to spend and when to really go for it. I think that's the thing that he lacks. And I don't think, certainly there's been no evidence since the sack of Pochettino that he has learned from any of the sort of things which didn't get us there in the first place. Um, so I, I certainly appreciate the fact that he got us to a position where we were, you know, got that close. But I just, I think he's taken us as far as he can in terms of football. And I think unless someone else steps in, um, we're going to be having the same conversation in 18 months' time. Tuchel will probably come in, get top four, you know, won't be back to the degree that he expects, and we're going to be here again. And as Rosa just said, it's going to be another Tottenham fuck-up. I mean, the thing is, he has he has changed. Like, before, it was, it was very clear, like, there isn't any money, we're building a new stadium. And then when the stadium was built he's like now there is money I think um I think it doesn't even need to be that like Daniel Levy personally has to completely step aside like I think it's part of partly so much of like we just there's so much that we don't know right like we don't know who's on the board or who's involved with any of these decisions it always feels to me like there's no one kind of saying no to him mm. or saying actually maybe we should do this I don't I don't know but it sort of feels like does he just have not just not yes man but people but no one's going to go actually against him and say well, actually also, I don't think I don't think this is the right move I think we need to be doing this and, and maybe think, there just needs to be more people like that around you know and I think we're we're seeing so many of the sort of time-honoured um plays from the Spurs playbook when things like this happen at the moment, right? You've got the 
you know, you've got the the little leaks to the press from agents and players, and I'm sure people within the club, you know, where the manager is suddenly getting all this shit spoken about them by everyone. You know, we we've seen this so many times. It's so exhausting. It's so it just feels a bit. No, it's so unprofessional, man. Yeah, it just I feels can't really. Stands any of that stuff. Cheap and nasty, and like Conte's not allowed to have an outburst, but all of the but loads of agents are allowed to say, "Oh, the players hate him and they're sick of everything." I, I suppose my next point with the ownership, though, is, you know, we're talking with, you know, we speak about needing, you know, Levy to perhaps step aside or for there to be new ownership, etc. You know, I, th- I suppose the worry is right. Is it a bit better the devil you know? Is it a bit grass is greener? You know, what alternative is there in modern football if you want to go up to that to that next level, Billy, that you're talking about? Because really we're talking about potentially investment from places that would leave an awful lot of fans. I think, you know, us on this podcast included, feeling incredibly uncomfortable and questioning our, well, the fundamental way that we support the, the club, right? Yeah, we don't want that. We just really want, we want to stop making the same mistakes and expecting different results. Yeah. And that doesn't seem like that hard. I mean, I will say one thing about the sort of constant chase um, for top four and and this need to be kind of among the elite is that when like we fucked things up very, very badly at the start of the Premier League era, and we were behind everybody for ages in like, again, completely unnecessarily. So there was like a lot of catching up, like where we were for the whole, what first, te- however many years of the Premier League, like 10, 15 years, like we shouldn't have been in that, in that situation, should we? We shouldn't have been in that position. And I saw, so from that perspective, I can really see like why they would, why the club hierarchy would want to make sure that we were like properly just at the top and like yeah. always part of that pack and never falling out of it again because it was so damaging for so long and like Completely. pretty miserable. To yeah, and I, you know, I, I would defend sort of Poch an awful lot during his reign when, you know, we would put out B teams in cup competitions and get knocked out because I saw that it was imperative for us to, you know, assert ourselves in the Champions League and become a sort of perennial top four fixture and really embed ourselves in, you know, my hope was that we would do that. And then a few cup competitions would, you know, we would win a few things just as a result of becoming an elite club. Of course, it being Spurs that, you know, the spoils of that have never (laughs) come our way. And we've, you know, we are what we are, which is quite a unique proposition, right? Because we're, you know, and I've always... I've always said this and it's, you know, something I've probably droned on about on this podcast before, but we exist in a really weird stratosphere, Tottenham. Like we're, you know, we're a big club, but we're not, you know, we're not Man United. We're not Liverpool. We're not even really Arsenal, if we're being honest, in terms of the recent success and the, you know, their ability to sort of gobble up trophies, even when they're in, you know, they're apparently in their sort of banter era. We're just, we're not Because they had that, because they started on the front foot at the beginning of this whole era. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. They were the same as us, but they like, they just started properly and we started like several miles behind and we've been playing catch up ever since. 
Yeah, um, we're not big enough. You know, you can you can. We're easy to punch. Yeah, also, you can punch yeah. up at us and you can punch down at us, and yeah. we exist in this very odd little world. And in so many ways, I am incredibly grateful to this ownership for, you know, like you say, Rosa, dragging us out of the sort of laughable state we were in under sugar, and you know the the complete sort of handicap we had from starting the Premier League years in such a amateurish fashion um you know to be where we are now which is playing in a you know probably the best stadium in world football with a lot of incredible footballers um you know doing relatively well we're 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 in fourth in the league right like we're not you know we're not talking about Tottenham in a relegation battle which again I know you shouldn't look back and go well I mean we are just not Tottenham men (laughs) but that's a whole other thing yeah exactly (laughs) um but yeah, it's what do we do now then? Like, what do we do now in terms of, you know, do we, or what do we think more to the point? What do we think the best course of action for the ownership is in terms of what, who do they go out and recruit? We haven't really mentioned the sort of managerial hunt in any great detail, possibly because who knows? Like, we could get off this podcast and Tottenham could have appointed a manager, but. What would what would you do, Rosa? What would you do if you were leaving now? Like, would you get Potch? Would you get Tuchel? Would you go for a sort of left field Vincent Company, Michael Carrick, Ryan Mason sort of pick and really start from the beginning? What would you do? I think I would I would either just go Potch because for all the reasons that we've, you know, just discussed so many times on this part about kind of he he sort of deserves it really. Or I would just say, okay, let's just forget about it for the rest of the season um, and go f- and go for like Vincent Company in the summer. I just I would I would take Tuchel off the table immediately because even even if it would work, I just like we need something to kind of to bring everyone together. I think that's part. I mean, that's part of football. That's actually a massive part of football, isn't it? Like mm. all all fans together. Um, and also, like, we need someone that's our guy. I think yeah. I'm so bored of this idea that we sort of pick up. And, you know, the the Chelsea thing is its own thing altogether. But, you know, Tuchel will always be a Chelsea guy because he won them the Champions League. He would have to really go some to trump winning a Champions League. And, like, what did he do? He won, like, four trophies in about three weeks or something at Chelsea, didn't he? Like, yeah. he was. they still adore him, that fan base, and quite right. You know, but let's just give it to someone for whom this would actually be like exactly. a crowning that's achievement, yeah, basically. That's what yeah. I'm saying. And it doesn't need to necessarily be Poch for that. Like, part of me thinks that we just need to get that out of the way, like collectively. I think we probably base. do. We probably do. I mean, reading between the lines, it seems like it's probably not going to be him. I would feel, Billy, do you think that's a fair read just based on what we're hearing? Yeah, and I know last time we had this conversation, I think it was two or three weeks ago, um, he was my first choice. And I, there was a big part of me, but we'll put it this way, if he came in, I'd be delighted. Like, I, I certainly would be, you know, I just need something to cling on to right now. It's been a, a cold... It would give us a real like, endorphin really rush, would. right? And I think we but can all admit that, you know, seeing his lovely face. Yeah, and I just, I, I've never ever connected to a manager more. I, it's unlikely that I ever will again. Um, because that was a really, really special time and something that I'll always remember. But there's a, a real part of me and it's becoming stronger and stronger that just 
kind of hopes we just do something brave and just go for company or go for someone like that, like Gallardo. Just do, just do something like really out there. Just go, right, it's not worth this sort of emulating Chelsea thing with these big managers. Let's proper build a project. Let's give it to someone like Vincent Company. Because I, I personally believe from you know, the... There's a, an amazing video of him doing the rounds at the moment today on Twitter where he's absolutely laying into the, the players after a uh, draw. And um, everything, that, the way that he talks, the way that he has managed to turn a Burnley tide, you know, who are an awful football outfit in terms of mm. the way that they play into a, you know, sort of emulating the sort of football that, that obviously he's learned from Pep. I think is very, very impressive. And I just would love to be brave and just let's just do it. Let's really go for it. Yeah. Let's have a manager who's good. Because if we don't, Man City are going to do it. They're going to do it eventually. And if, why don't we just get in there first, get this guy. And if, you know, I see some people worry about a situation where, well, as soon as the Man City job's available, if he's doing that well at Tottenham, where it'd be, it's, he's still in conversation with a Man City job, then that's a lot, we're in a lot better position than we're in right now, for sure. So I would just, there's a part of me that would just love to do something daring, no, our club motto to dare is to do. Let's just be brave. Get a project manager in, and just go for it. Because you know we're kidding ourselves if we, you know, trying to be Chelsea all the time and hiring these Chelsea managers. We're not that. We're never going to be that. You know, that's not us. Let's be Tottenham, and let's just do something brave. And also, let's not be embarrassed of the fact that we're not Chelsea, man. We don't want to yeah. be them. Yeah. We, we don't want to be them. Why, why are we copying them? Like, what, what is this desire? We've hated Chelsea? them for years. Yeah, I don't want to do this. I, wanna, yeah. I don't want to do it. I want to do something brave. Yeah. And also, the only time that we've had, you know, granted Poch didn't win anything, but the only time where you could really hand on heart say that we've had a successful era is under a project manager, you know, it was under a manager who was allowed the time and space to develop a young squad, to bring in players that weren't superstars and turn them into superstars. It's sort of maddening to me that Levy can't see the one time he got it so right. And albeit, you know, as sort of the story goes, he wanted to sign Louis van Gaal and couldn't. So, you know, had to go down this road instead, but he did go down that road and it was incredible. And surely that must be, I mean, you know, and we're obviously reading all sorts of reports at the moment and who knows what's going on. It sounds like the club have kind of gone to ground and they're not really letting an awful lot out. So I think a lot of what we're reading is just guesswork and agent talk at the minute. But, you know, the fact that in one breath you've got talk that Tuchel is, you know, there are talks going on there versus, you know, we're talking to Sporting about, um Amarim who I think would fit that sort of project manager kind of bill and company and you know we're it seems like we're I all over the place they so seem to be um, heavily heavily linked with the Frankfurt manager I don't I don't really know too much about Frankfurt from, from everything that I read he plays like sort of Jose style counter-attacking football like so it's just it's a, I mean but I think the most important thing is what you said like you can't really read too much and it's all just noise isn't it like yeah. I, just, I hope the I hope the actual club know what they're doing and I know again as I've said the whole, the whole way through this podcast there's a huge caveat to all that is if, if Paratici is the man who's choosing this manager yeah. is even going to be here in a few months I just hope the club know what they're doing they make a brave decision and they stick by it because yeah God, we I... need some leadership right now so badly we badly just need a bit of leadership and it's almost as if they need reminding that us fans would really rally behind a brave pick. I think there's this sort of weird, and I think a lot of it is is to do with what I was asserting earlier about Levy 
thinking that getting a sort of flashy celeb manager is a shortcut to success and it shows that we're you know sort of a big club etc but it's almost as if he needs sitting down and told that like no the fans just want like we want another potch type person we want someone that's going to build from the ground up and make us proud and play the football that we want to see and if it takes a season or two then fine and I think you know Arsenal doing what they're doing is awful in so many ways and is actually you know we haven't really spoken about this but I think some of the well we have on previous podcasts but not not on this one I think some of the angst and the stress around the fact that this season is a disaster, like this is awful, everything's terrible, is to do with the fact that Arsenal are eight points clear at the top of the league. Like loads if, of it is to do with that. If Arsenal were if Arsenal were ninth and we were fourth right now, I'm not even sure that there would be quite the same sort of bellowing for Antonio Conte. There's no way the people would be upset about the quality of the football. I'm sure. But we would also just not be spinning you know, out in the um, same way. No. You know the, the madness of this is we're, we're third in the form table at the moment. Uh, that is, <laughs> That's actually so hilarious. We're, we're deep in crisis. <laughs> I will say this. I was talking to a Leeds fan yesterday and he was just like, I'd love to be in your shoes, a crisis club in like the Champions League places. Yeah. And honestly, that was a sobering moment. But this but is, is the thing. Just that we're, this, is our, this is our unique thing because we are in a crisis. Like, there's no, there's no denying it. We've been, we've been the headline football story of the week. Like, mm. Yeah, like our, our manager are, like sort of declared how much he like, hated us live yeah. on TV like four it's days just, ago. Like oh. we're ridiculous. <laughs> when you think about it, man, it's just like I don't know. I was, I did a whole thing on Twitter about like the the sort of culture of complacency, blah blah blah. Um, and somebody said to me, oh, this this is madness and this is just Tottenham fans looking for another excuse to hate their club. And I was like, I don't hate my club. My club hates me. <laughs> well, I mean, we're sort of talking about it already, but the fourth bucket, if you like, is is the fans. And, you know, Christ, we've seen every kind of shade of rainbow on the spectrum of Tottenham sort of reaction to to drama this week and you know we've we've discussed most of it already in terms of like I think you know even amongst our own friends I think we've seen everything from like that deep sort of digging in you know how dare this man sort of criticize my club like who does he think he is all of these things that I've been saying about my club for the last 20 years how dare he say it he's not allowed to say it but I am you know this ridiculous way that we sort of you know, it's like having a kind of idiot best friend, isn't it? That everyone knows is an idiot, but they're not allowed to say it, only we are. Um, like, are we to blame in any way as, as fans? Like, I don't know, Rosa, what do you reckon? Like, we we put up with a lot, but do we bring some of it on ourselves? Yeah, 100%. We're mental, man. <laughs> like, of course we are. You know, and there's loads of good reasons for it. There's loads of good reasons for it. We're very, you know, fragile and intense um like desperate to be loved hard to please neurotic all of it and but also like self-deprecating and able yeah, to laugh at ourselves but exactly but um, we're you know until we're very Conte shouts at us, yeah exactly we don't you know we just we want to be we want to be loved ultimately and we want to love Tottenham and 
we're just we're very messy I don't think I don't think we've helped ourselves at all and I've been quite angry about it for quite a while this season I found I found this season really exhausting and and I know loads of people have found this season hard going because they have not enjoyed the football and I found this season very hard going because I've not enjoyed a lot of what our fans have been saying um but I've, I've sort of I'm mostly at peace with it now to be honest because I just think well takes all sorts and we've got a lot of a particular sort probably in our fan base um I don't know I don't think we've helped ourselves but I'm not sure it could be any other way really Billy, I, don't really, as... I don't really blame us okay all right Rosa says we're not to blame Billy you're in a unique position as essentially king of Spurs Twitter um What's your take on like the sort of temperature that you're seeing? Um, you know, is there a split or do you feel like the fans are kind of unified at the minute in terms of what they want to see? Um, no, I think there's a huge split at the moment and um, which is why I think we're more desperate than ever just to have something to get behind. Um, I think there's, for the reasons that we've just spoken about, everything, all the three things that we've just spoken about before, every single one of them is very divisive. Enoch are very divisive. Conte is very divisive. The players are very divisive. Um, and the Pochettino area, we were all united, like largely for, for the majority of it. It was the it's the first time in my life, certainly, where we've been that united. And I hope there's something we can get back to. But I'm just going back to what Rosa just said. I don't blame the fans at all. Like we are... In a un- uh, we're in a unique situation. So, firstly, we pay the highest prices um, in Europe for, to watch our football, and it's not been good enough. Um, you know, secondly, we're, we're constantly battening off the media and the Twitter and all this stuff, you know, about Tottenham bottling things, and that's not really, you know, to some extent it's true, but certainly to the, to the, we're, we're the butt of jokes when we don't deserve to be all the time. Like, for example, you know, the Leicester season, this perception that we bottled it when we were never top, once and that's you know per- perpetuated by the media all the time. You know we're constantly on the defensive at our own club. We're constantly the butt of, butt of people's. You know, get people like West Ham fans making trophy jokes about us, like Newcastle <laughs> fans make it like we're constantly defending our club against people that have yeah. no right to even even chat to us. So I don't blame the fans. I think you know we get a tough ride as Tottenham fans. We mm. deserve we deserve to be. To, to, to feel that joy again because and it speaks know. to that weird unique place that we hold right I think exactly. you know, the and fact that we exactly can get it. sort of bantered off by West Ham fans in one breath yeah. and Newcastle Newcastle haven't won a trophy in what 50 years and we're the sort of one and that's exactly right we're the sort of unique stratosphere where we're the butt of every joke when you know we've been finishing above those seasons for like 10-15 years consecutively so it's, it's a very strange place to be in as a Tottenham fan so I think it's needed more than ever that we just have someone that comes in, yeah. unites our fan base, um, because we deserve it, man. We were in the we've been through the trenches, um, and we deserve to come out the other side now. I think that's a wonderful point for us to wrap this special um deep in our feelings episode of uh, Hometown Glory. Just quickly, because we can't ever do a, an episode of Hometown Glory without a little nod to culture. Just give me one quick fire culture pick from each of you this week. Rosa, you first. Oh, sorry, just trouble. I'm muting myself there. Um, I will give you The Bandit Queens, which is a novel by Perini Shroff, which is fantastic and has just been long listed for the Women's Prize for Fiction. Excellent rapid fire pick. Billy, yours, please. 
Um, I haven't seen anything good, but I've seen the worst film I've literally ever seen in my life, which is Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, um, which is a horror film that came to life because of this whole public domain rule where, you know, after 100 years, all copyrights expire and it goes, everything goes into public domain. And it is legitimately the worst film I've ever seen. So I do not watch that. Okay. I was also going to shout out something terrible. I watched the first episode of uh, Daisy Jones and the Six, um, the TV adaptation of the book. Absolutely awful like i can't believe how much money was spent on something that's so cheap and nasty it's incredible how cheesy it is like it's i mean it's kind of laugh out loud funny and how bad it is but on the flip side puss in boots the last wish yeah uh, that's my man. double recommendation now it's the second yeah time. sorry i yeah. couldn't resist <laughs> yeah. it i just yeah. and i'll tell you what because happy. i so i it. tweeted i tweeted uh that it was Really good. I tweeted, took the kids to see Puss in Boots at the cinema on the weekend, ostensibly so we could have naps after a rare late night out. But it's so fun. I had not a wink of sleep. How dare they make such a good movie when I needed a rest? And uh, Universal Universal Pictures replied to me with simply, who's your favourite fearless hero? The the amazing song that should have won best best song at the Oscars. Um, and I think you saw that on was it on Saturday? And I I remember we were talking about the sort of wake of the defeat and everything. I was like, more importantly, Charlie, I really need to know what you thought of Puss in Boots because I was like, I was like, I'm I'm sure he's going to love it, but if he doesn't love it, I'll be really disappointed because I fucking love that film. You heard it here first. Billy cared more about my opinion of Puss in Boots than he did Spurs three, Southampton three. Um, Maybe we do deserve it all. <laughs> you, you Rosa you need you're the next in line you, you I know the thing is it's so fun it's so the thing fun. is one of my kids has already been to see it she went to her birthday oh. party to see it so I think you can watch it at home now I think it's available yeah, to can. rent and stuff I thought you were going to say you can watch it by yourself Rosa and do you know what I, I, uh, I can, can and I will I genuinely can it is yeah. an adult cartoon film for sure <laughs> it definitely is it's it's brilliant um, sorry I turned this into an extended section on Puss in Boots when I was uh making you guys be rapid fire that was a very special episode of hometown glory thank you both so much billy and rosa i really enjoyed that that felt cathartic that felt incredibly needed um and let's just keep our fingers crossed that by the time we've edited this and put it up that thomas tuchel isn't in fact spurs manager and all of this is completely pointless listening um thanks ever so much billy see you soon up the spurs. <laughs>